Hi everyone, it's Aliza Licht here, your host, and I'm so thrilled to share that my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception, is out now. I hope you'll pick up a copy because personal branding is for everyone. It's for the new graduate starting out, the middle manager looking to level up, the executive who wants to be a thought leader, the entrepreneur starting from scratch. It's for anyone who wants to pivot or transition into something new. Because having a strong personal brand means that your name gets dropped in rooms you're not in and that you're thought of for opportunities that other people haven't even heard of yet. So pick up a copy and I can't wait to hear what you think. Hi, this is Aliza Licht, and this is Leave Your Mark, the podcast, where I brew fresh career advice with some of my most inspiring and successful friends. It's professional advice that you can action immediately, whether you're just starting out in your career or well on your way. With a massive to-do list and a large cup of coffee, I promise that you can get it all done and still have time to post about it. I am very excited to welcome Alyssa Rosenheck, who is an author, a cancer survivor, a celebrated architectural interiors photographer. Alyssa, your book, The New Southern Style, is so magnificent. And I'm so excited to talk to you about your journey because it is not a straight path. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's just such an honor to be able to connect with you. You are amazing and such an inspiration, and I cannot wait for our conversation. Oh, you're so sweet. Well, for everyone listening, on a national level, Alyssa has been recognized as a business leader, an advocate, and really the voice of the New South in outlets like Forbes, The Washington Post, In Style, and People. And what's so great about what you're doing now with your new book is You're helping individuals tap into their creative power and really community with what you've put into the new Southern style. So readers get an all access pass into the conversations and home tours of more than 30 creative entrepreneurs. And I love that you focused on entrepreneurs for this. And more than 47,000 words later, (laughs) there's lots of words, but there's tons of pictures. And, you know, Alyssa's mission with this project is to support the reader through life pivots, inspire creative courage, and encourage us all to be our own agents of change. And certainly you lead by example, Alyssa. You know, you're amplifying the voices of the next generation of creatives and turning messages into movements, which I think is so awesome. So we always start with give us a little background on you and where you grew up and what your sort of early days were. Oh man, how much time do we have? We have so much time. <laughs> I uh, born and reared in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You know, that was really the starting point for me. And my childhood was filled with some unfortunate circumstances. We don't get to choose the family we're born into or the circumstances that we're born into. And there was a lot of emotional and financial instability. And that was kind of tough. And there was some trauma and there was just some stuff. And I think in the long run, I can say this now through also a lot of therapy, (laughs) but my childhood really set the stage to be a foundation, A, as a teacher and to really allow me to be vulnerable and to be my own 
healer and leader and warrior in my own life. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I mean, listen, these are the foundational years. So <laughs> I'm I like, how deep do we want to go? We um, can go super deep. We can go super deep. <laughs> you know, I'm one of three. I'm the middle, but we're all five years apart. We took little bits and pieces of our environment with us through our adult years. And I'm really grateful for my mother. She was a single mom at the time. And she was fiercely just my biggest advocate for health and for wellness and to try to keep me on the steady path, which could have gone sideways quick, you know. And she was very active in my life. And she put me in athletics, which was also really pivotal. Uh, there is a lot of clinical research that says that sports and STEM, I just did a big event yesterday with a big STEM charity event. Um, when young girls are exposed to these things during adolescence, it makes them more courageous and active and a level of resilience that really helps them through the environments in which they're in. And it helps them participate more and have an active voice in you know, their development, which is great. So all of that to say, that's been really a culmination of the choices I've been able to make up until this point. Yeah, I would say any opportunity I had for sports, I probably would fake sickness, but that's great, <laughs> great for you. Wait, so what were you involved in, in your pre-famous days? <laughs> I don't know about famous, but I did gymnastics. Yeah. I was long, terrible. Long. I was terrible. No, actually <laughs> terrible. I kind of stopped right when they taught us like back walkovers. Yeah. That was when I plateaued. They were like, okay, yeah. next back handspring. I'm like, no, I can't do it. My mom put me in gymnastics because I got kicked out of ballet. She's like, okay, this child is way too active for ballet. No more plies. We're doing flips. And yeah. so she put me in gymnastics when I was four and I retired when I was around 14 and it was intense. I mean, I went to school. I trained from the time I got out of school until probably around nine o'clock and then trained before school as well. Oh, so you were like on a team? Yeah, I was almost elite, traveled internationally and competed internationally. Okay. So yeah, we're not the same. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but I will say from gymnastics as a result, uh, I had a freak accident one summer when I was training and I was doing a round of back handspring and I just went straight up and I was supposed to do double back, but I landed right on my neck and mm. yeah, it knocked me out. And from that point on, I had a lot of fear going backwards. And then I went to the University of Utah and trained with their gymnastics team and their sports psychologist. Cause at the time they had like the best sports psychologists in the country. and At that point, that was when I really understood visualization because I would have to walk through all of my routines and do breathing exercises and muscle relaxation techniques while I'm visualizing each routine and going backwards and working through that fear. And I will say this, that is what helped me get through my book and writing process. Wait a second. (laughs) We fast forwarded a little bit, but that's... Yeah. Wait, hold on. So first of all, connecting the dots to these gymnastics and then the book is amazing, but visualization. So the key to this is to just picture yourself doing it well, and then you will do it well. Is that a sort of mantra, mental mantra? It's doing it in your mind several times. So it's, I think the sequence and 
feeling the feelings attached to it and visualizing as it relates to gymnastics, it's going through each routine like 10 times each perfectly and feeling that success or that ease that comes through it or the calmness that comes through it. And how I apply it now to my life is I always do it before bed because that's probably when I'm most relaxed and I'm like dozing off to sleep. If I have big things coming up, I'll visualize big meetings and how I feel during those meetings and what I'm saying through those meetings and then the feelings attached to the result of those meetings or just, you know, just having a strong intention and sticking to it. I love this. And I guess my question, and maybe you don't know the answer to this, maybe you do, the difference between visualization and manifestation. I don't know if there is a difference, honestly. I think when we visualize and we do it in the highest good for everyone involved, I think that there's a really magnetic power and force behind it. I think it's different too when you're visualizing or manifesting from a point of ego. Like I want a new car. I don't think that's very magnetic or powerful. But I think if you are service-based and your objective is really from a heart-centered place and it's for the goodness of your, you know, your family, of your community. I do think that there is, there's a magnitude with that. I love that. Thanks. So interesting. I love it. Okay. So where did you end up going to school? Well, I went to Casha Hall in high school and then after gymnastics, I got into tennis. My mom put me into tennis and she also made me read the book, which was really great at 13. I think it's called Pretty Little Girls or Little Girls in Pretty Little Boxes. It's about elite figure skaters and gymnasts because the gymnastics world is really unhealthy. Like we were weighed every day. It was wild. And her biggest thing was for me to have a really healthy relationship with food and a healthy and to be socialized. I was one of the few girls that was not homeschooled, you know, and she thought that was really important. So I have a lot to thank her for that. Um, And then after I stopped doing gymnastics, she's like, you cannot just go from this competitive background to nothing. What do you want to do? And I was like, I remember running around, like running miles with the girls training before and after gymnastics. And we would always talk about what seemed like a vacation. And we had scuba diving weight belts around our waist. You know, it was a thing. And I was like, tennis, tennis just seems like a vacation. And so I actually got a full tennis scholarship to go to college. And it was an opportunity that I would not have had financially if I didn't have that scholarship. So I went to Cumberland University, a little outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And what did you major in? Oh, man. Um, (laughs) These are like 10 lifetimes ago. I know, Uh, but you know know the answer. (laughs) Yeah, I majored majored in psychology. Interesting. But you never wanted to be a psychologist, right? No, I didn't know what I wanted to do at the time. I thought it was going to be the most broad major that would be applicable to business. And I thought I would go into business. That was really what I thought success would be for me to join the corporate world immediately. And, you know, initially I thought I wanted to go into medical school and then student loans were really, really scary financially for me. It's yeah. it's about a quarter of a million dollars. It's, you know, pretty large. And you know, the way I grew up, there was just that instability. And so I really craved, you know, security and peace and stability and independence, fierce financial independence. I craved it so much. And so I joined the corporate world and did that for a little over a decade. In what capacity? 
So I worked first as a secretary uh, for a boutique commercial real estate developer. And I was answering phones, I was getting coffee, I was delivering newspapers, I did a little copy editing and writing. Um, I was involved in my first like media buy with them, which was great, geared a little bit more into the marketing role towards the end of that position. And I just wanted bigger corporate. And I then joined my first Fortune 100 company with 3M in industrial manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And I was selling packaging equipment in big industrial plants and showing a return on investment in the automation of, you know, lines. That was amazing. 3M is an incredible company. Their training program is top-notch and magnificent. And I felt like I walked away with my mini MBA from 3M. I love them. And I feel like, I don't know, I have this like wicked sense of when chaos is about to come. (laughs) I I don't know. I just have that like sensitivity to my environment. And, you know, when you're in industrial manufacturing, I was doing this in 2008 and 2009, right before the market crashed. And I sensed it because, you know, I was behind the curtains, understanding where budgets were struggling and everything going on with the market. And so I started putting more feelers out there with what I wanted to do next. And thank goodness, because I got my second position with my second Fortune 100 company right before the market crashed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, and I would have been laid off. (laughs) And at that company, what was your role there? I went into a completely different field, which was great. It was really merging a clinical environment, which I love, with just business and my entrepreneurial spirit. And I was selling medical device equipment. I was selling spine medical device equipment. So spine implants to neurosurgeons and orthopedic spine surgeons. And I did that for the last six years of my corporate world. And that was wild. I feel like these jobs are so foreign mm-hmm. to where you are now. So then how is the Alyssa we know now born mm-hmm. After this 10 years of corporate <laughs> life that is so disconnected. Yeah. I do think that where we are now, it's just a culmination of choices and they're all puzzle pieces that were necessary, right? In the big whole scheme of things. And cancer really is the connection point for me. I was diagnosed with cancer when I was 32 years old and I was still in the corporate world and I was you know, living and breathing this lifestyle that was not really a reflection of where I wanted to be in the world. I had everything that you could think of externally. I was chasing these arbitrary levels of success. I was very fear-based. I wasn't coming from a place of like love and abundance. I was coming from a place of, as ah, the rug going to be pulled out from underneath me? And, you know, I just need to be on this straight and arrow path and not entertain what my heart wants. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't have that luxury or I didn't think I did. And my husband now, but my fiance then, we were long distance and we definitely have a story in a past. But at the time, he looked across the table from me and he was like, Alyssa, you have a tumor growing out of your neck. And... <laughs> He would know this because he's a really smart man and he's a head and neck cancer surgeon. No, he's not. Yeah, he (laughs) 
Oh my God. Oh wait. And he just said it like casual. Like yeah, casual. we were long distance at the time. So we were only seeing each other once a month and I was living in Chicago and he was living in Nashville. And, you know, this was at the end of my like corporate career doing spine sales consulting. And he was like, how have you not noticed this? You have literally like a golf ball sized tumor growing out of your neck, Alyssa. <laughs> And I was like, I don't, I mean, I was also so stressed. It was during such a hard, hard season in my life, just getting out of the corporate world. And as a female in medical device, it's really hard because you're the only female, you're not looking at your appearance. If anything, the way you look is a detriment to, you know, hopefully your knowledge and walking through that door and being tested two times as much as your male counterpart. And so that's what I was focused on. I was just focused on being of service and making sure that my clients, which were surgeons, having plans A, B, and C in the room while patients were on the table. So I just was not focused on my health or the way I looked. (laughs) It was a sports bra and no makeup and scrubs, you know, (laughs) six years for me. Wow. So, I mean, that must have been like a gut punch. Yeah, it was. That was the first time that I really stopped and paused and felt stillness internally and externally. And I also, you know, picked up a camera for the first time as as a healing catharsis through this. This was the first time that instead of making choices from my analytical brain, I was really being fueled by my heart and what I just really immediately needed, which was nourishment and stillness and pause and to recenter. So, but previous to this, were you interested in photography? Was that something you did personally? Or this is like literally the first time to like, I need to do something creative. I'm going to pick up a camera. I took a photography class in high school, but it was really just to fulfill like a requirement, (laughs) you know, a credit. And my mom is incredibly creative on her side of the family. It's known that like we're descendants of like Michelangelo, like wave. I know crazy, like crazy, crazy, crazy. And I was just before hopping on with you today, I was on the phone with her and we were talking about getting our like 23 and me done and you know all of these things to like show it, but bizarre. That's crazy. I know it's crazy. So all that to say on her side of the family, it's very creative. Like my grandfather can replicate Renoir's and, and Degas, like all of the, and he can make anything from his hands. Like he is just, he is so incredibly inspiring to me. And my mom's the same way. She could paint anything. She could make anything. And I just never thought I had a creative bone in my body (laughs) to be quite honest. Cause you know, I think that when there is such trauma in your childhood and you are just trying to survive and you don't have family money or other people supporting you, you're just like, on a mission to make sure that you have food on the table. And that's what I was focused on for a very long time. And to your point, I think, you know, it's not said very often, but the ability to be creative is Mm -hmm. really a luxury, right? It's a gift to yourself that you have time and sort of like the mental faculty to do. But if you're worried about putting food on the table, being creative is not on the list of things that you have the pleasure of doing. I don't think it is on the list on your top three, four or five priority list, but I will say this 
creativity is a fundamental companion to self-care. And it is something that we all have within us. I believe everyone has a creative bone in their body. And it's something that we have to be still enough to listen to and to really embrace and identify what those creative gifts are. Yeah. So I'm going to argue there and I'm going to give you my (laughs) husband as exhibit A, where I'll just leave you with this. This is his creativity. We Mm -hmm. ran out. It was holiday time and he was going to wrap some presents and I came home and he's just sitting at the desk quiet. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. what's wrong with you? And he's like, my fingers are stuck together. And I said, what do you mean your fingers are stuck together? And he said, well, we ran out of scotch tape. So I used crazy glue to wrap the presents. And I'm like, this is, this is who I married. He thought crazy glue was a solution. You know, that's just being resourceful, right? Like, I mean, you're being kind. I mean, he has not lived this story down. Trust me. Well, I'll say this. I'll say this to counter that. My husband, he is very science-minded and very analytical and very cerebral. And he is the first to say he is not creative, but I have put him behind the lens and have had him do some photography for me, with me. And he's incredibly creative. He has a beautiful eye. It's really inspiring to watch him tap into his gifts that he didn't even know he had. So sweet. Yeah. So I do think that we all have it in us. We just have to be still enough and calm enough to receive those gifts. So when does photography become a career? Mm, Good question. (laughs) So when I picked up a camera, uh, I was also wanting to move back to Nashville. And I had purchased my first piece of real estate in Chicago and I wanted to sell it. And so I took pictures of my home, my condo in the city. And I fell in love with the process. Um, It was a very organic evolution from hobby to profession, I will say. And I'm a firm believer that when you start saying yes to yourself and when you start saying yes to your gifts, the world starts saying yes to you too in little kismet synergistic ways. And so I fell in love with shooting the condo. It felt like a form of prayer for me. It felt like a moving meditation. And it was a reconnection point to parts of myself that I thought were forever lost. And just synergistically, one of my friends, her sister-in-law was a new designer. She needed a photographer. She had a new project and she knew that I had this passion and said, Hey, would you want to shoot? I said, yes, like blindly, you know, I simply read the manual and I took a, like a quick little Photoshop class online And I intuitively showed up and I intuitively styled the project. I intuitively photographed the project. And then with my business background, I was like, okay, how can I continue to be a service to my client and how else can we expand their footprint? And so I started cold pitching all of my projects on behalf of my clients. And I, I was one of the first photographers at the time, this is now seven years ago, that was only focused on the digital landscape and digital outlets. And 
that was such a beautiful process for me and my clients because it helped expand their footprint. It gave them great momentum and press. And then ultimately it started saving magazines money. And then it's taken me to this point where I am now with over, you know, 900 national magazine features. And it's been a really crazy evolution to see the digital landscape grow the way it has and the currency it offers small businesses. That's amazing. This is like the best story ever. So what made you want to put it all into a book? The book was really a passion project. It's very independent from the photography component and the business, in my opinion. Growing up the way I did, we were one of the few Jewish families in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And the way I grew up, you know, I definitely know, you know, privilege from the way I look, but I also know discrimination and hate from being a Jew in the South. And it's hard. My literary agent is in New York and she's like, no way. (laughs) And I'm like, no, for real. And she's amazing. And she has been just my creative fairy godmother, but she now gets it. And so, so many of my other friends who are actually Jewish and from New York who moved to the South, who understand as well. And I just, I wanted to tell a story that was definitely brewing inside me for a really long time, but I wanted it to be a celebration of community and creativity and how we can all come to the table and use our voices for goodness in this world. Oh, so perfectly said. And I love that as a fellow Jew from New York, (laughs) not the South, but um, that's amazing. So Going back to the creative process of the book and connecting the dots back to gymnastics conversation, how did you use the visualization for the actual book? So I'm a big believer in having a holistic process surrounding my creative expression. So what does that mean? That means my environment is reflective of the visions I have that are greater than myself. So my environment with the art I choose, with the things that I have constantly around me, those are symbolic of what my dreams and goals are. You know, with the art I choose, I have this print, this faucet print that I have, and it has, you know, love on one handle and fear on the other. And it's a reminder for me to choose love every day. And especially through this book process to show up with love through it instead of fear. Fear was a big component around the book. I didn't think that I could do it. And fear has now been used as a tool for me. So if I'm really fearful of something, I know I have to pursue it. I have to walk through it. I have to utilize it as something that's going to empower me and hopefully connect me to that end goal. And for the visualization component, a strong self-care plan. So I had like a morning routine, an afternoon reminder, and a really strong evening meditation practice. And I even had a meditation nook in my studio. I have a photography studio in my house. And I carved out like a corner of it where I would light a candle and have fresh greenery. And I would sit there and I'd visualize having conversations with my literary agent, getting a literary agent, you know, going through the process of what the book proposal would look like, and then what the the bidding process would be like with the book and what meetings were going to be like with 
future publishers and then possibly a bidding war and like all of those steps. I would just sit there and like really feel and have clarity on how I wanted to show up through that process. Okay. So are we absolutely (laughs) sure that you're not psychic? Are are we sure? I'm a psychopath probably. Like, I don't know. I am not psychic. Okay. So first of all, I kind of want to either be your child or you in general, because I'm visualizing your self-care process. And I'm like, that sounds divine. I want yeah. that day. Let's, want- yeah, let's talk about your self-care. What are you doing right now for your self-care? Talking to you? <laughs> <laughs> I have okay, Alyssa, I have this is gonna sound so sad, probably. I have pretty much zero self-care. And if I was gonna say that what is my self-care, the only thing I can think of is Netflix. I don't know of another method that I use. I mean, I do not have a minute to breathe. Yeah. Period. End of report. Because I have the day job, and then yep. I have my leave your mark side hustle. Yeah. I have two children. Yeah. Um, two dogs. Yes. A husband. And I'm a New Yorker, so <laughs> by nature, it's like go, 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 go. Repeat. You know, mm-hmm. sleep for a little bit. Repeat. So, teach me your ways. Yeah. Do you have time to take a bath? A bath? Yeah. Do you have time to take a bath? Okay, so I have never <laughs> taken a bath <laughs> in my adult life ever. Stop it. I swear to God. Okay, well, you can do it in the shower. If a bath is unrealistic for you. Even okay. though it's next to the shower. Yeah, <laughs> even though it's like two steps next to the shower. In the shower, I just feel like water is such a source of renewal and restoration for me. And in the shower, I want you to do two things. I want you to go to the store next time you're grocery shopping, pick up eucalyptus. Okay. It's going to be there. Is it like a tree? Yeah. It's like a greener. It's greenery. It's still up. Okay. Pick up okay. eucalyptus. Mm-hmm. I'll send you an image so you can see what to identify. <laughs> it's green. It's living. Tie it around your shower. It'll be beautiful. But then next time you're in the shower and you're washing your hair, you know, at night or in the morning, I do it at night. I think it's really powerful in the evening because for me, I do it in the tub as well or in the shower. It just depends. I visualize what did not work in my favor. Okay. So the from thing the day, from the yeah, day. for the day. So like the things that did not work for you today that didn't go in your favor, that just like were hiccups. I then re-visualize my preferred outcome. So I visualize my day with those things actually working out. So maybe a client not being a grenade and then being like kind and calm, you know, or, you know, not being rejected by somebody or something. And it just isn't a good energy cleanse for me. And it really sets the tone for the next day to just go into it with a clear head. And I just feel like it's a good neutralizer. And I do think that there is this kind of subconscious layer where we hold on to those bad things and it helps us release them. And I think, you know, we have to release in order to receive the goodness in our life. And that was a process that 
you know, was really paramount through the book because I had so much fear. And I think when we are stressed, when we have anxiety, when we have fear, it really blocks creativity. It blocks ideas coming to us. It blocks us recalling certain stories that could be nourishing and powerful and resourceful for others. And you have to be really centered and anything that brings stillness and nourishment and love and peace into your life. Those are the things that are meant for you. And you got to cut out the noise and the chaos and the rest. Oh my God. You're incredible. No. What? No, truly. <laughs> what is your like visualization or hope for the reader of this book? So much. This is going to make me emotional probably, <laughs> but Really, I want every little girl to be able to see herself in this project through just expansive examples of what we can all achieve when we are resilient and fearless and um, courageous. (laughs) I'm going to get emotional, but, you know, I want this book to really hold your hand through life pivots. I've gone through so many life pivots. It's never too late to start your passion or your dream or connect yourself to a new goal. It's never too late for that. And there's so many beautiful conversations filled with this that are exemplified through a lot of the people I highlight as well. And then I want this book to inspire creative courage. I do think when we connect to our creativity, it further connects us to our meaning and our purpose in this world. Mm -hmm. And it's heart driven And I do think that inspiration provides this ripple effect where you never know who you're inspiring. And when it comes from this place of love and abundance and creativity, it tells us the truth about the world and it creates kinder, more empathetic, connected communities. And then I want this book to really open your eyes and mind to become your own agent of change. Really, it starts with you. You have to start reframing your own inner dialogue and connect with your why and, you know, show up for yourself every single day. Amazing. So this is your first book. Yeah. I'm sure there will be more. <laughs> Hopefully. Based on just how <laughs> I'm hearing about you speaking of it. And, and I also think that, listen, at the end of the day, I think what you said about you never know who you're going to inspire like or touch. I think sometimes, you know, especially in digital, there's all this immediate gratification and we've sort of been conditioned the past, you know, 10, 11 years to reflect our self-worth in likes, right? And shares. Mm-hmm. And I think that books are so different because mm-hmm. books are consumed, you know, in the privacy of someone's home and you're not there to see the reaction. So, but I, I have a very strong feeling that you will hear from your readers after they've read it. Um, I'm sure you have already. And I think that it'll lead to the next. Do you have like a bigger purpose or how do you ultimately want to leave your mark? Because I feel like this is just sort of the beginning of something much bigger, but maybe that I'm just projecting. (laughs) I think you're psychic. (laughs) Actually, I've been told that before. I want to go back real quick, not to totally manipulate this conversation. But But sure, why not? But sure, why not? Do you ever want to write another book? Oh, um... (laughs) That's funny. I did. So I was in a corporate role in marketing. I left in March 2019. And previous to that, probably around December, 
I was like needing a creative outlet. My book came out in 2015. So it was already like many years. And I pitched my editor two ideas. And she said she liked both of them and I should give her pages on both of them. I go home, a month goes by and I didn't write anything. And then I thought to myself like, okay, why am I not writing anything? And I was like, I don't want to. So then I realized I needed something more immediate. Like I wanted to reach people, but my book took 18 months. Like I didn't want to do it over the course of like, you know, it takes a long time. It's a a commitment. And then as (laughs) luck would have it, a friend invited me on her podcast and she just very casually said, you know, why don't you have a podcast? And I I was like, I don't even listen to podcasts. I don't even know. (laughs) And then I went home that night and I Googled how to do a podcast. And then I realized, oh, wow, you could actually do that and like get it live quickly yeah. depending on you. So this is my book, right? This yeah. is my new version of my book because I feel the need to connect with people. And I want to share these incredible stories like yours, but I don't want to do it over the course of 18 months, yeah. just, you know? Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. And you are providing such a beautiful outlet for other women to connect to and expand into the stories that you're sharing. Thank you. I'm very honored to have the guests that I do because I really curate them accordingly to uh, (laughs) sort of, you know, I want people who are listening, like to hear your story Mm -hmm. and realize what a gift it is for you to be so transparent, you know, and I think that to put it all not only on the podcast, but in a book, and to have it in the world for people Mm -hmm. to not feel that it's just them, right? Mm Because I think a lot of people go through life thinking it's just me, it's just me, this is just happening to me. And I think Mm -hmm. it's such a luxury to know that there Mm -hmm. are so many stories out there. So Mm -hmm. our stories are our power. I'm a big believer in that. And I talk about of course, connection a lot. It's a big theme intertwined throughout the book. But I think courage is, um, it's our ability to connect with another human being in a really honest and vulnerable way. And that's power. I mean, that is such a beautiful, resourceful way to learn and to grow and to build community. I agree. And I also just adding to your plate, I think... (laughs) I think that you need your own podcast. (laughs) No, I'm not kidding. (laughs) Okay. Should I pay you after this conversation? (laughs) I feel like. (laughs) No, I mean, we can discuss, but I'm happy to talk to you about it. But I think that the way that. No, for your psychic reading. (laughs) Oh, my psychic. Oh, (laughs) really? (laughs) No, I've considered doing a podcast, but I just. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I think it's okay to not know as well. And it is okay to not know, but I do think you have a gift for describing mm-hmm. how you feel or how you look at things. And I think that you could probably, my guess, even how you're turning my questions around on me <laughs> very much. Uh, I'm the host here. Um, I welcome. think that you can, I think there's something here, whether it's podcast or talk show or some sort of I will say this. I just recently uh, disclosed this, that I signed my first production deal. There you go. Yep. And I'm going to be hopefully an executive producer on something that you guys may be able to view in the future. That's amazing. And that makes me really happy. Thank you. Honestly, the goal is to be able to remind 
all the women in this world to turn inward. We have the answers to live in their worth, to stand in their power, and to pursue their choices in a way that connects them to a vision greater than themselves and continue to believe in their dreams and their goals and their desires. They're worth those things. Well, that's how you're going to leave your mark, Alyssa. Thank you. <laughs> Thank this you was, for having me. This oh was my a God. beautiful conversation. It was awesome. I loved everything about it. And I can't wait to see what comes next. So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Very grateful. Thanks so much for listening to Leave Your Mark, the podcast. If you want more career advice, be sure to pick up a copy of my best-selling book, Leave Your Mark. If you're on Instagram, make sure to follow at Leave Your Mark podcast to stay up with the latest episodes. And of course, say hi to me at Eliza Lickdexo. If you're on Twitter, definitely reach out at Eliza Licked. I would love to hear from you. If you want to subscribe to my newsletter or attend a future virtual mentoring event, go to elizalick.com for more information. And just remember this, if change doesn't hurt a little, it's not change. Keep on rocking.